Hello and welcome to the stunning history of today. Well, that was beautiful. <laughs> I'm Tez. And I'm Steph. Um, this is a podcast where we talk about something that happened on this day. Uh, could be anything. Anything that we want to learn about, talk about. We love our variety. <laughs> so we've done a true crime story. First piece was about film and psychology. Mm. Today we're going to be talking about a famous person who was released from prison, but not from today's era. What? <laughs> so it's the 19th of May. Can you tell that I'm in a weird mood today? <laughs> Slightly weird mood. Do you, re- do you reckon it's just because, like, it's the morning? I'll tell you I'll tell you why, but I'll first explain this, like, tell you what we're doing today, and then I'll explain why I'm in a weird mood. So it's the 19th of May. Mm-hmm. So on this day in 1897, which is 124 years ago... We're going back. Oscar Wilde was released from prison. Now the reason, okay, not only am I in a weird mood, we just had a moment, Steph's in a bit of a weird mood <laughs> too. But I'm in a weird mood because I was obviously researching this, looking him up because I know him, you know, I think we studied him in school. You know him? Like, he just comes We know of him. Oh moment. yeah, we're such good friends. <laughs> um, but I was looking him up and I was looking at pictures and stuff and, you know, iconic imagery, I know what he looks like. And I had a moment where I looked at him and I thought, that's my face. <laughs> She's not even joking. I like, think I'm Oscar Wilde. <laughs> I swear to God, if you had never told me that, I would have never looked his face up. I already know what he looks like, but I it never occurred to me to put two and two together and say, oh yes, of course, Tess looks just like Oscar Wilde. But bro, if any of you have seen... <laughs> if any of you have seen Tess in real life and then you look at Oscar Wilde, there are some similarities. <laughs> we might call them With brother and sister. With my glasses off yeah. and my resting face, my face gets droopy when my resting face, I literally have that pudgy, droopy look on my face. It's me. It's literally me. So I had a bit of a moment of, oh no. <laughs> I look like Oscar Wilde. So this whole thing's put me in a weird mood. But What if you're like, like kind of descended from Oscar Wilde? I really doubt it. <laughs> I really doubt it. You never know, I guess. Firstly, before we get into it, you know a little bit about Oscar Wilde? You know who he is? Yes, I know he was the absolute genius. Genius? Genius. Zant. Well, I mean, like, we studied, I don't think, grade 11 English. We did The Importance of Being Earnest. I haven't read that one. Yeah, it's a reply on Importance of Being Earnest. <laughs> I think we had to act out a scene, if I remember. Traumatic. <laughs> Senior English was so traumatic. But I, I knew who he was, and I knew of his works, like, Lady Windermere's fan mm-hmm. as well. And, like, I know he was, like iconic you know with english and writing and everything but and i also kind of knew the fact that we will get into why he went to prison i knew about his lifestyle i think that was something we talked about in school mm-hmm. i just didn't know he went to prison mm-hmm. so this is something i learned myself right, okay. <laughs> tessa's learning as she goes <laughs> so i guess we'll just get right into oscar wilde so i'm going to talk a bit about his early life and about his life in general because i feel like we need some context. I can't just tell you why he went to prison, guys. We need to <laughs> build an image in our minds. <laughs> I mean, using your face, this can be very easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> if anyone knows me, please don't ever mention this to me to my face. I'm going to be so self-conscious. Oh, my God. I'm dying. And I've now stopped parting my hair down the middle just so I don't look like him even more. Because... Oh, my God. I've known. When you had your hair down earlier, it was like parted on the side. Yeah, I part my hair on the side. <laughs> oh my god, that's a recent thing I'm doing. <laughs> oh my god, I only just noticed. Yes, thank you. I'm trying to change my appearance. <laughs> anyway, 
also um, Oscar Wilde's Irish, so there are some Irish names slash towns in this, so I'm definitely going to mess those up. Sorry in advance. <laughs> Irish names are hard to pronounce. <laughs> it's alright. So, let's get into it. Oscar Wilde was born in Dublin on the 16th of October, 1854. Mm-hmm. His father, William, was a successful surgeon and his mother, Jane, was a writer and literary hostess. I'm sorry, his, his father's name is William. Yes. William Wilde. William Wilde. Willie Wilde. Well, he also, he also, Oscar had an older brother called Willie. <laughs> Willie Wilde. <laughs> a good segue to that. <laughs> Carry on! <laughs> okay, cool. Um, they both attended, Willie and Oscar attended the Portora Royal School at, I can't, okay, I can't pronounce this. Okay. Enniskillen? Enniskillen. Oh, Enniskillen, Enniskillen. Yeah. That's an Irish place. I actually know the, the, oh, the pronunciation, there you go. pronunciation of. There you go. Ten points to Hufflepuff because you tried. Um, where Oscar excelled at studying the classics. He was very smart. He took the top prize of his la- at his last two years of school. He also earned a second prize in drawing. Ooh. So he's kind of a child genius, I guess. <laughs> uh, in 1871, Oscar was awarded the Royal School Scholarship to attend Trinity College in Dublin. So at Trinity, he did particularly well in his classics courses. He placed first in his examinations in 1872, mm-hmm. and he earned the highest honour the college could bestow on an under- undergraduate, a foundation scholarship, and he was also awarded a demi-ship scholarship to Magdalen College in Oxford. What's a demi-ship? I don't know. I assume it's like Should a have half looked that up. <laughs> I assume it's a half scholarship because the word demi means half. Uh, yeah, I would assume it's like a partly funded. Yeah, like, oh, school costs £1,000, here's 500 enjoy. Such. Yeah. I think so, but now he's going to Oxford, so he's a smart little bean. Mm. He has a younger sister that, um, when I looked up the pronunciation of this, they said it's Isola. When I looked at it, I would have said Isola, because it's I-S-O-L-A. Oh. But apparently it's Italian, and they say it's Isola. Our Italian friends, please let us know. (laughs) (laughs) I googled it, so if I'm wrong, Google's wrong. (laughs) Um, But... This was like the beginning of his misfortunes because at the age of nine, his younger sister died of meningitis. Oh. And it really affected him. Well, shit. Obviously, because little baby sister, mm. unwell and, and passed. And it's said that for his lifetime, he carried a lock of her hair sealed in a decorated envelope oh. because he was so profoundly affected by it. Bless him. So Oscar attended Magdalen College at Oxford from 1874 to 1878. So he actually became interested in uh, Freemasonry, the Masons. Right. Okay. And he was attracted by its dress, secrecy, and ritual. And he raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason. He, he uh, was only part of it and interested in it interested in it while he was at Oxford. Mm-hmm. So once he left Oxford, he just stopped paying his subscriptions and they just faulted his mm. membership. It's such like a, a uni thing to do, though. Like, like a, it was at like the, like the beginning of frats. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. a secret society club for I men. Mean, I mean, like, who hasn't gone to uni and joined a cult, you know, just it's for the bees. sake of it. Everyone's <laughs> done it, guys. And if you say you haven't, that's just, just a lie. Don't lie I to mean, us. I haven't. Oh. But okay, I guess I had a <laughs> not normal uni experience. <laughs> Maybe a uni experience was safer. <laughs> Very unsocial. I mean, is that a word? Unsocial. Un uh, unsocial. Yes. Yeah, that was me. <laughs> <laughs> At uni, I was the most quiet introvert you've ever seen. As long as like your dorm wasn't crawling with you know 
goats waiting to be sacrificed. Did you just say goats crawling yes. with goats? I thought <laughs> yeah. you were going to say crawling with bugs, as in no. like it wasn't disgusting or anything. No, because and you going... went with goats. Yeah, I'm just so going... surprised by this <laughs> choice. Because if we're going for cults, what do they sacrifice the most? Goats, right? Okay, we're going to move on because I just. <laughs> Where is this going? Okay, so we're still at Magdalen College at Oxford. Mm-hmm. So while he was there, he became particularly well known for his role in the aesthetic and decadent movements. So he wore his hair long, openly scorned manly sports, even though he uh, occasionally boxed. Mm-hmm. And he decorated his rooms with peacock feathers, lilies, sunflowers, and blue china. That sounds so nice. Isn't it? I think if you were to like describe him today, I guess some people would say he was eccentric. Yeah. He just lived his best life. I mean, he's definitely an artist. That's for damn sure. A hundred percent. Now we're getting into a bit of like, I'm going to spring like a plot twist on you because <laughs> I feel like this is the perfect time to do it. Right. So while he was at Oxford, his father passed away. Mm-hmm. He passed away on April the 19th in 1876, leaving the fi- family financially short. So this is the plot twist. So William Wilde, his father, also fathered three children born out of wedlock before his marriage to Jane. Okay. So he had surprise babies. <laughs> he had Henry, who was born in 1838 to one woman. Mm-hmm. And then he had Emily and Mary, born in 1847 and 1849, respectively, to a second woman. Okay. So William acknowledged the paternity of his illegitimate, or in quotes, natural children... <laughs> And he provided for their education, arranging for them to be reared by his relatives rather than with his legitimate children in his family household with his wife. Hmm. So I don't know if that means that the mothers just weren't around or whether back then it was weird for mothers to look after kids on their own. I think I think it wasn't uncommon because like it's been done before, but maybe like if you're referring to the other kids, the illegitimate children, not being in the same house as like Oscar and his other two siblings, maybe it's like more of a, uh, what's it called? Like an, the, like he doesn't want to insult his wife by bringing Such, like three other children. children. <laughs> like they, they don't belong to you, but come cook for them. <laughs> like that's kind of weird. So I I kind of understand, but at least like he provided for them. So he, was he did provide for them. But I just thought it thing. was strange that he was like all my other relatives are going to raise them rather than have them stay with their mother. So I'm assuming the mothers weren't around. Did they die? I don't know. I couldn't figure that out. Or whether it was like a thing where they're like, they need to be raised in a proper household. So we're going to take them away from their mother and put them in another family, like a relative family. That would make sense because back then, like men did make all those decisions and like everything that's going to be right for them are going to be my decisions. Blah, blah, blah. Good for you. Okay. Surprise family, surprise children. But he did treat them well. Mm -hmm. He did look out for them, did look after them. But because Henry was his firstborn, it was up to Henry to look after the family when Mm. William died. So Henry paid the mortgage on the family's house and he supported them all. But unfortunately, a year later, he suddenly died. Okay. So, oh my gosh, such complicated family life. (laughs) It doesn't get much better. Because uh, after graduating from Oxford, Mm -hmm. Wilde returned to Dublin, where he met up with Florence Balcombe. She was a childhood sweetheart. Mm -hmm. But she became engaged to Bram Stoker, (gasps) the author of Dracula. (laughs) Oh my god! What a small world this is. Holy shit! I mean, I know who I'm marrying. Let's just throw that out there. (laughs) 
Oscar turned up being like my ultimate nice, my childhood sweetheart. And she's like, oh, I'm marrying uh, Bram Stoker. <laughs> oh my God. She's marrying like, uh, Dracula's Another creator. author. <laughs> oh. So they married in 1878 and Wilde was disappointed, but he was stoic about it. He mm. was like, okay. He wrote to her saying that he remembered the two sweet years they had together. It was the sweetest of his youth because they were quite close, apparently. He also stated his intention to return to England, probably for good. And he did this in 1878, only briefly visiting Ireland twice after that. So with the last of his inheritance from the sale of his father's houses, he set himself up as a bachelor in London. <laughs> Living that bachelor life. Oh my God. So uh, in d- we're going to jump a bit all over the place now because we're out of Oxford. And now we're kind of getting into... He starts writing and publishing works. Uh, so in December 1881, Oscar sailed for New York to travel across the United States and deliver a series of lectures on aesthetics. Which is the movement that he was kind of, you know, leading at Oxford, living the lifestyle of aesthetics. The 50 lecture tour was originally scheduled to last four months, but stretched to nearly a year with over 140 lectures given in 260 days. Well, it was popular. So because of all these lectures, he was traveling around, not just in America, but also in the UK. So when he was in London, he had been introduced to uh, Constance Lloyd in 1881. Mm -hmm. And Constance who we're going to learn a bit about now. (laughs) She was four years younger than Oscar and the daughter of a prominent barrister who passed away when she was only 16. She was well-read, spoke several European languages and had an outspoken, independent mind. So in those days, she was a nightmare. (laughs) But such a nice, (laughs) independent... Oh, no! How dare she? How dare she have a mind? But she happened to be visiting Dublin in 1884 when Wilde was lecturing... And he proposed to her and they married on the 29th of May, 1884, at the Anglican St. James Church Paddington in London. Oh, all the anniversary is going to come up soon then. (laughs) Guys, don't forget to celebrate their anniversary. (laughs) (laughs) Good night, myself. (laughs) You just hear a date like such. Um, Although Constance had an annual allowance of £250, which was generous for a young woman, it's the equivalent to £26,300 today. That was her annual allowance. Oh, my God. Um, the Wilds had relatively luxurious tastes. Oh. And they loved to live the high life and, you know, be fancy, which I don't blame them. <laughs> it's so nice. Oscar and Constance had two sons in quick succession. Cyril in 1885. And this one, I'm very scared to say. <laughs> because it's V-Y-V-Y-A-N. So I'm guessing it's Vivian. Yeah. But I've never seen it spelt that way before, and I've never heard it as a boy's name before. So I was like, Vaya, Vaya, I don't know how to. Vivian, I'm assuming. Vivian is correct, yeah. Even though I feel like that's such a feminine name. It is a really. Do they like mistake him for a girl? And then just like, it's too late now. I can't be asked to change the name. I've already assigned the. the We've just decided that's Vivian. (laughs) We'll we'll replace the eyes with a Y. That's more masculine. Yeah, it's it's part of my aesthetic, so it's alright. Such eccentric. Um, so they had Vivian in 1886. So they had two boys, pretty much one right after the other, mm. pumping them out, 85 and 86. Wow, she didn't even rest. 
Bless her. <laughs> so with her family to support, Oscar accepted a job revitalizing the Woman's World magazine where he worked from 1887 to 1889. Mm-hmm. So up at this point, he had been publishing things. He had, I think, a few plays and a few short stories and poems and everything. But none of them had been super, super, super successful. So more of Oscar's works are starting to be published, including the first version of the picture of Dorian Gray in July of 1890. Mm -hmm. Apparently they had different versions because the first one was scandalous. (laughs) I mean, that's just like child's play today isn't it i mean i've never read her so i i can't comment definitely a good read yeah yeah i know about her i've just never read her (laughs) uh so now this is where this is like almost the beginning of the end because (laughs) in uh mid-1891 lionel johnson introduced oscar to lord alfred douglas um who happened to be johnson's cousin Mm -hmm. and uh lord alfred douglas is an undergraduate at oxford at the time and he was described as being handsome and a spoilt young man. Mm-hmm. Now, I googled pictures because I wanted the tea. Like, how handsome is he? And I could not find an actor who I could be like, he looks like this. Mm-hmm. But the tea is, I would not say he's that handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it and I was like, okay. Is What's she going to Google him now? I'm going to Google his face. I'm, I'm going to really Google interested. him. And then I want to see if you can come up with an actor that he looks like. Because okay. I couldn't. What is his name again? His name is Lord Alfred Douglas. Alfred Douglas. Okay, so he kind of looks like... Okay, he kind of looks like really, really discount Colin Firth. Like, without the charm. How did you see that? It's... It was... I obviously have no imagination. There's this photo. Like, it's this one on this side. But his his face is like... That oh. one looks like Robin Williams. Oh, no. Don't disrespect Robin Williams <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think he's like... Uh, may- maybe... Okay. For his time, he's good I looking. Mean, yeah. I'm not going to say he's ugly. But... <laughs> but... Like, I'd be a prettier man than he is. So, I'm just saying. I mean, so would I, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just embracing it now. I have to. I was just going to spiral. Anyway, so... <laughs> So these two men meet. They um, begin an intimate friendship. Oh. <laughs> and by 1893, Wilde was infatuated with Douglas and they consorted together regularly in an intense affair. Oh. Oh, being so nice. <laughs> see, now I can see, like, discount, super discount Colin Firth without the charm and you getting together. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I see in my head now. Because, like, I have... I have an alternative alternative face for both of them. I'm like, oh, I see it. I see it. I don't look very impressed right now. <laughs> like, okay, sure, Jan. Anyway, so Wilde was relatively indiscreet, um, even flamboyant uh, in the way he acted. But Douglas was also quite reckless in public. So oh. they weren't really hiding it. They were kind of like, yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm. We're being so nice together, which is going to cause them problems. So this is where it also gets a bit murky because Douglas soon initiated Wilde into the Victorian underground of gay prostitution. We're back to cults again. And Wilde was introduced to a series of young working class male sex workers from 1892. Mm. So this is where it's like, mm, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. <laughs> um, these infrequent rendezvous usually took the same form. Wilde would meet the boy, offer him gifts, dine him privately and then take him to a hotel room. Lord Alfred's father was known for his outspoken atheism, brutish manner, and the creation of the modern rules of boxing. Mm. That's what he's done in his life. 
Uh, Queensbury, who feuded regularly with his son, confronted Wilde and Lord Alfred about the nature of their relationship several times. Mm-hmm. But Wilde was able to appease him and be like, oh, chill. <laughs> it's fine. So, <laughs> in June of 1894, he called on Wilde without an appointment. How dare he? Oh my god, he just walked in. And clarified his stance. This is all in quotes. Are we ready for this? Right. I mean, I don't want to be an actor or anything, but I'm going <laughs> to... He says, I do not say that you are it, but you look it and pose at it, which is just as bad. And if I catch you and my son again in any public restaurant, I will thrash you. Oh my. He was aggressive. I mean, he was a a boxer. Aggressive. So rude. Anyway, so Queensbury only described the scene once, saying that Wilde had shown him the white feather, meaning he had acted in a cowardly way. But like, if someone comes up to you being like, you're a beast, I know you're a beast. And if I see you do this with my son, oh my God, you're dead. Like, of course you're going to be like, okay, bye. (laughs) Don't come near me. Uh, Though trying to remain calm, Wilde saw that he was becoming ensnared in a brutal family quarrel. Hmm. He was like, I don't want to get involved in this. (laughs) He did not wish to bear Queensbury's insults, but he knew to confront him could lead to disaster with his liaisons disclosed publicly. Hmm. So he was like, if I come at him, there's a risk that everyone's going to find out what I'm doing behind closed doors. Oh, dear. We don't want that. No. So, this is the beginning of it all. I know, I think I, think I said that three times. <laughs> Probably, yes. But this is actually... <laughs> this is, like, the starting point to the trial and everything that happened. So, on the 18th of February, 1895, Queensbury left his calling card at Wilde's Club, and he inscribed, for Oscar Wilde, posing sodomite. <laughs> That's pretty clear what he was trying to say. <laughs> Jesus, okay, wow. So Wilde, encouraged by Douglas, uh, and against the advice of his other friends, initiated a private prosecution against Queensbury for libel, Mm -hmm. since the note had amounted to a public accusation that Wilde had committed the crime of sodomy. Mm. So basically, he was like, it's a defamation case, basically. He was like, you said something etch about me in public. That's not nice. So he went after him. So... Queensbury was arrested for criminal libel, a charge carrying a possible sentence of up to two years in prison. Mm-hmm. Under the 1843 Libel Act, Queensbury could avoid conviction for libel only by demonstrating that his accusation was in fact true, and furthermore, that there was some public benefit to having made the accusation openly. So Queensbury's lawyers thus hired private detectives to find evidence of Wilde's homosexual liaisons. Oh dear. He ain't messing around. No. Obviously because he's confident because of the fact that his son has been messing around with Oscar. Yeah. So he's like, you will find something. <laughs> Don't you worry. So Wilde's uh, friends had advised him against going ahead with the prosecution uh, at a meeting they had on the 24th of March, 1895. Uh, a friend of his, Frank Harris, warned him that they're going to prove sodomy against you and advised him to flee to France. Wilde and Douglas walked out in a huff. Wilde was quoted as saying, It is at such moments as these that one sees who are one's true friends. Hmm. A lot of ones in that sentence. (laughs) Quite a few. Quite, quite. But he basically thought that they were not helping him. I mean, honestly, if I was a friend of his, I would say, you need to leave. Yeah. Because literally this is going to end badly. It's true. But he saw his friends not, he saw it as like, you're not helping me. Mm -hmm. You're basically telling me to run away. Yeah. Wasn't France a bit... I, I don't know. I could be completely wrong on this. Wasn't France a bit more, like, free in that respect because of the bohemian culture? Yeah, I believe so. Especially in that part because we're nearly... In, we're, like, the end of the 1800s. We're nearly yeah. at the turn of the century. Yeah, so... I so feel like it was almost the peak of it then. Yeah, like, 
I, I'm pretty sure it was beginning of the 20th century, like, Bohemia, I could be, again, I could be so wrong, Bohemia was, like, a huge thing in France, like, Paris specifically, where mm. you could literally just be as open as you want, so why would you not go, Oscar Wilde? You literally could be whoever you wanted. Also, what happened to the kids and the wife throughout all of this? <laughs> I feel like everyone's forgotten that. <laughs> oh, yeah, you had kids and a wife and stuff. <laughs> That will pop up a bit later, but oh. we're going to get on now to the trial. Okay, okay. So, um, it became a talking point because uh, salacious details of Wilde's private life with a number of men, not just Douglas, began to appear in the press. Oh, no. A team of private detectives uh, were led to the world of the Victorian underground, mm-hmm. which we now know is bad news because yeah. we know that Wilde was part of it. Mm-hmm. Wilde's association with blackmailers and male sex workers, cross-dressers and homosexual brothels mm-hmm. were recorded and various persons involved were interviewed, some being coerced to appear as witnesses since they too were accomplices to the crimes of which Wilde was accused. Mm. So they're basically like, hey, if you uh, come up and talk about Oscar Wilde and say he's an etch, uh, we'll just turn the other way with you. We'll just be like, oh. You didn't do anything. <laughs> oh my god, it's an every man for themselves situation. Literally. The trial opened at the Old Bailey on the 3rd of April, 1895. Um, there were scenes of near mass hysteria, both in the press and the public galleries. Ooh. People were losing their minds. <laughs> uh, so Wilde's lawyer opened the case by preemptively asking Wilde about two suggestive letters that Wilde had written to Douglas, which the defence had in its possession. So basically Wilde was like, you know, you're going to hear these letters that the defence have and they're going to tell you it's, you know, risque and mm. like, how dare I write this and it's sexual, but it isn't. It's it's poetry, it's, it's art, mm-hmm. and it's completely innocent. Its intent was innocent. So Carson, who actually also happened to be from Dublin and went to Trinity College, mm. oh, he cross-examined Wilde on how he perceived the moral content of his works. So Wilde replied with characteristic wit and flippancy, claiming that works of art are not capable of being moral or immoral, but only well or poorly made, and that only brutes and illiterates, whose views on art are incalculably stupid, could make such judgments about art. He basically was like, if you don't get it, you're stupid. (laughs) (laughs) If you don't see that it's art, you're stupid. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, Carson diverged from the normal practice of asking closed questions. And he pressed Wilde on each topic from every angle, squeezing out nuances of meaning from Wilde's answers, removing them from their aesthetic context and portraying Wilde as evasive. Hmm. He's basically doing lawyery things. I mean, if you've ever seen <laughs> defence lawyers or prosecution lawyers, they like to twist things. They do. So like the littlest thing you say is like, oh, so you were there So there excuse that day. me, did you just know this? Did you did you say you were breathing that day? I mean, yeah, so <laughs> Well, I, I do move to say that they killed someone. Their edge. Wilde won the most laughs from the court, but Carson, the lawyer, scored the most legal points. Oh, yeah, he did. So to undermine Wilde's credibility and to justify Queensbury's description of Wilde, Carson drew from the witness an admission of his capacity for posing by demonstrating that he had lied about his age under oath. Playing on this, he returned to the topic throughout his cross-examination. So typical lawyery things where it's like, but you said this, but we all know you lied before about your age, so you could be lying about this. Jesus, it's the Such beastly lawyerly things. Uh, Carson then moved to the factual evidence and questioned Wilde about his friendships with 
younger lower class men oh no the questionable relationships uh wilde admitted being on a first name basis and lavishing gifts upon them but insisted that nothing untoward happened uh and that the men were merely good friends of his so carson repeatedly pointed out the unusual nature of these relationships and insinuated that the men were sex workers so then Carson asked Wilde directly whether he had ever kissed a certain servant boy. And Wilde was quoted saying, Oh dear, no, he was a particularly plain boy, unfortunately ugly. I pitied him for it. Wow. So that answer was like, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Carson was like, um, what is the relevance of his appearance? Why is his is ugliness relevant? Why is that something you needed to mention? If so he's ugly, I'm not kissing him. Exactly. So then Wilde was a bit hesitant and he became flustered for the first time in this process okay. by saying like, you're just trying to unnerve me. I'm just trying to make a joke. I now realize I shouldn't be so flippant. I'm going to take this more seriously from now on. Yeah. So it was kind of like a turning point of like, you're actually in trouble. <laughs> This is not a joke. Uh, Be careful what you say. So in his opening speech for the defence, Carson announced that he had located several male sex workers who were to testify that they had sex with Wilde. Mm. So on the advice of his lawyers, Wilde dropped the prosecution. But what does that mean? Well, Queensbury was found not guilty as the court declared that his accusation was justified. So under all like the laws and everything, his acquittal basically meant that Wilde legally had to pay for all of Queensbury's expenses for the case, which made him bankrupt. Oh my god. Okay. This is why we run and hide, children. We run and hide. (laughs) That's what I would have done. (laughs) The option for France was there and he didn't take it. And that's just so silly. I I think his whole behaviour throughout this entire thing was like, it's fine, it's fine. I mean, I'm going to be so blatant and obvious about it, but it's fine, it's fine. And his entire friendship circle is saying, Dude, run. Yeah. Live your best life somewhere else where this is not going to haunt you. Maybe take um, Discount Colin Firth with you and do the thing that you want to do most, which is great. But, oh, he was just he was just not thinking. And I think he was just being a bit of a smart arse at this entire thing. Well, I was kind of thinking this whole time that like, I think because he was so intelligent and got so much praise and was so successful from a very young age, maybe there was a slight arrogance about him. Oh, definitely. And the fact that he's like, I'm untouchable, I'm really smart, I can get out of anything I need to. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is kind of what hurt him the most. Mm -hmm. Because, yeah, he got up thinking, even during the questioning, being all like, "Uh, you think you can catch me? Oh, no, Uh, there's no proof. Even though, well, a lot of proof. (laughs) Jesus. So what does this mean now? Well, after Wilde left court... A warrant for his arrest was applied for charges of sodomy and gross indecency. Mm. Because basically, that case had basically proved that what this man was saying about Wilde was true. So now they had reasons to press charges mm. and arrest him for the things that Queensbury accused him of. Mm. So, Robbie Ross, who is a very good friend of Wilde and a possible past lover of Wilde, uh, found him at a hotel in Knightsbridge with Reginald Turner, and both men advised Wilde to go at once to Dover and try to get a boat to France. His mother advised him to stay and fight. And what did Oscar Wilde do? He just kind of was in the middle being like, I don't know. (laughs) Oh my god. He stuck around, he did not leave. I mean, okay, I'm not being funny. With all of his genius and whatever the hell he got at Oxford and Trinity College and everything... So flipping stupid. I I can't get over this. Like your life is being put at not well, yeah, your life is being put at risk. You're gonna be put in prison. 
and you're just like, I don't know what to do. People are advising you to do things, and you just stood there saying, I don't know what to do. What should I do? Why should I leave? Maybe you should leave. "Mm." Oh, but should I? Oh my god, I'm just so annoyed with it. Because I just feel like if I was in that position, I would have left before the trial had even begun. I would have gotten out of there because it's like, I don't know if it's just because I don't want to, I'm a bit cowardly in that way. of like, I'm not going to stay and fight. I'll be like, okay, bye, sorry. (laughs) But it's it's like the right thing to do, especially because the law was unfortunate as it was back then. And there was another country where, you know, you you probably could have been a bit more open about everything and less judgment, etc, etc. But you decided to stay in England. Why? <laughs> so much disappointment. I don't care about his degrees. He's stupid. <laughs> common sense. Isn't that true that some super intelligent people lack common sense? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, like they just can't seem to figure out the most basic things. That is just common sense. Anyway, so we are going to go on. He is arrested mm-hmm. on the 6th of April, 1895 for gross indecency under Section 11 of the Criminal Law Amendment Act of 1885. This part is a quote, so I'm sorry for the language used. Oh. But it says, a term meaning homosexual acts not amounting to buggery. Bugger? Oh. <laughs> oh my god. That is a separate offence. <laughs> oh, wow. I read that and I was like, okay, I guess if that is the official <laughs> term used in law. Jesus. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Okay, English law is weird, but sure. Sure. <laughs> so Wilde was then imprisoned on remand at Holloway, where he received daily visits from Douglas. I feel like if I were Douglas, I would be leaving too. Yeah. Like, all these people are sticking around, and it's like, guys. <laughs> so yeah, once he was in there, events moved quickly, and his prosecution opened on the 26th of April, 1895. Wilde pleaded not guilty, of course. And he had already begged Douglas to leave London for Paris, but Douglas complained bitterly, even wanting to give evidence. Uh, but he was pressed to leave. Everyone was like, literally, what are you doing? Go. So he did. He soon fled to France. Does he mean give evidence in favour of Wilde? Yeah, basically to be like, we're not being so nice. We're just friends. Oh, well, too yeah. late. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that would have really helped. Um, feeling persecution... Ross, who was his friend that we mentioned earlier, and many others also left the United Kingdom during this time. Okay. Which is like, fair enough, save yourself, you know, make sure that you're out of the way so you don't have to, you know, be at risk of being arrested as well. But this, unfortunately, was a bit counterproductive in a legal sense because Mm -hmm. it only served to reinforce the charges of sexual, homosexual behaviour against Wilde. So people were like, see, look at all these men fleeing. This just proves that he was sleeping with all these men. (laughs) So it makes it sound like a huge barge, a ferry of men running away. <laughs> Just okay, bye guys, bye you. <laughs> we'll get them out of here. So the trial ended with the jury unable to reach a verdict. Mm-hmm. So Wilde's counsel was finally able to get a magistrate to allow Wilde and his friends to post bail. The Reverend Stuart Headlam, I'm going to say it's Headlam. Okay. We're going to just go with that. <laughs> so many names in this one that I can't pronounce. Uh, but he was such a stunning sweet angel baby peach because he put up most of the £5,000 surety Whoa. that required uh, by the court because he disagreed with the way that Wilde was treated by the press and the courts. How much is that today? £5,000 must be so much because if 250 was 26000 Oh my God. 5000 must be like, oh my God, math. Um... <laughs> 
So 250 is 26,000. I would say it's probably in the region of 50,000. Amazing. 50 to 500,000, yeah. How does the Reverend have that much money? <laughs> Who knows? Oh my god, I need to But be he Reverend. helped get it and get Oscar Wilde out of there. Unless, I mean, I did copy and paste this on a website. Mm-hmm. It could be £5,000 in today's money. Um, I don't know. Okay. But it says 5000 Still, it's quite a bit. Yeah. Either way you look at it. Yeah, It's yeah. a lot of money. <laughs> it's such nice reverend helping a man who was accused of sec- homosexual behaviour, mm-hmm. which we all know, like, especially religious people in that time, not just society, but religious people would have been like, ill now, yeah. burn in hell. And this man came and helped him. Yeah. Isn't that so lovely? Believes in forgiveness. Allies. <laughs> <laughs> we stand allies. So Wilde was freed from Holloway and... Trying to get away from all the attention, he went into hiding at the house of two of his good friends. And at this time, our lawyers were now approaching the Solicitor General and asked, can we not let up on the fellow now? And apparently the answer was, oh, we would like to, but this has become too politicised to drop this case. So basically they're like, why can't we just leave him be? You know, we've been through all this verdict couldn't be reached. Why don't we just let it go? And they're like, you know, we kind of want to and we probably should, but people are going to be talking about this. It Mm -hmm. has become politicised. We can't just let this go now. Mm. This is the basic understanding of this case. He had a final trial, another trial, and on the 25th of May, Wilde and Alfred Taylor were convicted of gross indecency and sentenced to two years hard labour. Okay. So he's imprisoned for gross indecency, which basically just meant that he was gay. <laughs> it was the basic. Stupid. So the judge... This is this is the etches part of this whole thing. This judge is someone where if you met someone like this today, you'd be like, you absolute beast. <laughs> the judge described the sentence, the maximum allowed, which mm-hmm. is two years, as, quote, totally inadequate for a case such as this, and that the case was the worst case I've ever tried. Hmm. So obviously never tried a murder case before because... <laughs> I would say death is a lot worse than... Yeah, I mean, like, wasn't Jack the Ripper around just, I don't know, maybe a a couple decades before? Before this, yeah. Yeah, and that's pretty horrific. Jack the Ripper? Oh no, Oscar Wilde is the beastiest of the beast. (laughs) That's pretty much what was going on. Yeah, I mean, like, I I know they have an entire Jack the Ripper section of the London Dungeons, but they need to have an entire exhibit about Oscar Wilde. (laughs) You think Jack the Ripper's bad? (laughs) Have you heard about Oscar Wilde? Oh my god. (laughs) The worst case I've ever tried. Oh my god. Now this is also where it gets a bit murky with details of this case. And this is where it's like, "Mm." It is widely believed that the charge related to Wilde's consensual activities may have suggested that he took advantage of teenagers. (sighs) So there's a transcript of the trial and it's like what they refer to. But then... uh, Merlin Holland, who's Oscar Wilde's grandson, mm. he argues that one is, one is taking it out of context. He was not an odious predator. The boys seemed to be willing partners and there appeared to be a relationship going on between him and them. Anthony Edmonds feels that Wilde would have faced prosecution today. For example, he certainly paid for sex with youths under the age of 18, which is a criminal offence, but even if his activities had led only to exposure and not to arrest, he would have been savagely ridiculed in the media. Wilde was 39 when he seduced one of these boys who was an inexperienced 16-year-old. So I get what they're saying. They're saying that it's a bit etched because some of these boys were allegedly 16, maybe even younger, Mm. maybe 18. 
But then you have to look at it in the era, just like the same way that they arrested him for being gay. Mm. I don't know that this this kind of information came out later, like obviously only a few decades ago. Yeah. So I don't know whether it was a way to try and make Oscar Wilde look even worse, even though he's already dead, <laughs> <laughs> or whether it was like because yeah, I feel like why would you bring it up if the laws back then were so different? You know, mm-hmm. I just feel like it's such a weird thing to bring up. Wilde was incarcerated from the 25th of May, 1895, to the 18th of May in 1897. He first entered Newgate Prison in London for processing, then was moved to Pentonville Prison, where the hard labour to which he had been sentenced consisted of many hours of walking on a treadmill and picking oakum, which is apparently separating the fibres and scraps of old navy ropes, and where prisoners were allowed to read only the Bible and the Pilgrim's Progress. Genuinely doesn't sound too bad. (laughs) Oh, I walk for a whole heap? I'm going to lose so much weight. (laughs) (laughs) So a few months later, he was moved to Wandsworth Prison in London. Inmates there also followed the same kind of regime of hard labour and, you know, reading the Bible. Um, But this lifestyle wore um, down wild pretty harshly. It wore him down. His health became very delicate. So in November, he collapsed during chapel from illness and hunger. And his right eardrum was ruptured in the fall. Which I'm like, how do you do that? Did something stab his ear? Did he... Maybe he hit, like, the corner of something. His head? Yeah, maybe he hit his head. And it ruptured his eardrum. I mean, it has to be a really hard fall. Pretty... It was terrible. It was bad because they say that that injury later contributed to his death. (gasps) And he spent two months in the infirmary with that injury. Pretty serious business. Uh, Richard B. Haldane, the uh, liberal MP and reformer visited Wilde and had him transferred in November to Reading Jail, which is 30 miles or 48 kilometres west of London, on the 23rd of November 1895. The transfer itself was the lowest point of his incarceration, and this is going to make you go, people are the worst, as a crowd jeered and spat at him on the railway platform. He spent the remainder of his sentence there addressed and identified only as C-33, the occupant of the third cell on the third floor of Sea Ward. Wilde was not at first even allowed paper and pen, but he's a writer. (laughs) Help the poor man. Uh, But Haldane, who we mentioned earlier, eventually succeeded in allowing access to books and writing materials. So during his time, because he had nothing else to do, between January and March of 1897, Wilde wrote a 50,000-word letter to Douglas. Wow. He was not allowed to send it, but was permitted to take it with him when released from prison. I don't know why he wasn't allowed to send it. I mean, I thought you were allowed to send letters when you were in jail. Well, maybe, you know, they're just doing this to be super annoying because he's gay. Such prejudice. Mm. (laughs) So the first half concludes with Wilde forgiving Douglas for his own sake as much as Douglas's. And the second half of the letter traces Wilde's spiritual journey of redemption and fulfillment through his prison reading because he mainly is only allowed to read the Bible. (laughs) He realised that his ordeal had filled his soul with the fruit of experience However bitter it tasted at the time. So poetic. Mm. On his release, he gave the manuscript to Ross, his old mate Ross friend, (laughs) who may or may not have carried out Wilde's instructions to send a copy to Douglas because Douglas later denied ever receiving it. Uh, But the letter was partially published in 1905. Its complete and correct publication first occurred in 1962 in the letters of Oscar Wilde. So if you want to go and take a read of it, Mm. she's out there to read. 50,000 words, though. (laughs) That's really weird. Like, that's... 
your private letter that you wrote whilst you're at your lowest point in life to someone that you cared for dearly and the entire mm. world can now, now read can it. Now read it. That's Privacy weird. who? We don't know her. <laughs> Literally. So we're now finally on this day. Oh, wow. <laughs> We've been talking this whole time. <laughs> but, you know, we needed to lead up to it because on this day, uh, in the 19th of May, 1897, Wilde was released from prison. And that evening, he sailed away to France, and he never came back to the UK. Are you kidding me? He finally goes away to France. Sail away, sail away. <laughs> he sailed away to France. Uh, I'm just now he did it. Yeah. <sighs> well, I think what part of it would, apart from the fact he had to go to prison, but mm-hmm. I reckon when he was transferred and people were having a go at him, like spitting at him mm-hmm. and being total leches to him, that must have been also like, a, I can't stay here. Like if I get out of jail. This, this is going to be my life yeah. on the streets and mm-hmm. I won't be able to live my life. Mm-hmm. So he buggered off to France. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I shouldn't have used that word. That no, bad, no. We, bad taste of words. Oh, gee. It's a different meaning today. <laughs> as oh. well as that. But yeah, anyways. Um, I'm just, I'm annoyed because I feel like I feel like I'm the one that told him to go to France. You know what I mean? Like, I'm the one yeah. that told him to go to France. And he's like, no, it's fine. We'll be okay. And I'm like... Oscar, you need to go to France. I'm not even joking. Second time around, Oscar, you need... I have a ticket. Let's go to France. It's like, be fine. Oh, no, it's be fine. fine. Goes to prison. Okay, I want to go to France now. I want to go to France, please. I told you, jeez. <laughs> Literally. Although Douglas had been the cause of his misfortunes, he and Wilde were reunited in August of 1897. This meeting was disapproved of by the friends and families of both men. They were all like, why are you doing this? <laughs> You beasts. Literally, after all you've all been through, you're going to go and do this. You're going to go back to prison. So, do you remember that he was married, by the way? Yeah. Yeah. Constance Wilde (laughs) was already refusing to meet Wilde or allow him to see their sons. Um, But she did send him three pounds a week. So, there must have been something there where she's like, ugh, he is my ass. That must be like a couple hundred. Yeah, I would, I'm not quite sure. It must be. Maybe like a hundred or so. Yeah, I'm trying to like move decimal points trying in to my math. head, <laughs> but I think it's like in the in the category of the hundreds. So that's nice. not bad. That's a decent. He, life, she, you know. you know, like even though she was like, we don't want to have anything to do with you, and you're not seeing your sons. Mm. Still, to give him a bit of money, it's a love. It's a nice thing to do. Yeah, I mean, like he's still family at the end of the day, mm. and what he's done is not even a crime, at least for today's standards, mm. and for anyone with flipping common sense, it's not a crime, but. I'm glad that she wasn't, like, really weird about it. Like, not too weird. And she's still like, well, I hate what you've done, etc., etc. But well, she must I have been hurt, if you think about it. Because, oh, yeah, definitely. Like, if... Because I guess back then you wouldn't even have imagined that your husband would be gay. Yeah. So knowing that he probably didn't even love you and was off loving other people, of course that's going to hurt. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he did love her. Like, if you're in that kind of situation where you have to marry someone but then you get to know them and you end up having kids with them like you do love them in some way mm. until you find your actual true love but yeah you do you do love them true love <laughs> <laughs> so during the later part of 1897 wilde and douglas lived together near naples for a few months oh. but they were separated by their families under the threat of cutting off all th- funds <sighs> so their families are like are you kidding me <laughs> No! And they separated them and threatened to, you know, make them poor. Oh my god. (laughs) So we're coming to the end. I feel like it's been a bit of a long one, but we're coming to the end. (laughs) 
Because by the 25th of November 1900, Wilde had developed meningitis. Oh, no. And uh, Ross, his old mate Ross, he arrived on the 29th of November and he sent for a priest and Wilde was conditionally baptised into the Catholic Church. Because something I didn't really mention at the beginning is he always had an interest in Catholicism Mm -hmm. and he was always interested interested in spirituality and religion mm. and especially when he was in prison like i said before he in his letters he talks about his spiritual awakening yeah and i think he may have even tried to be baptized into the church and a lot of people like now mm. so um it was like his dying wish to be a catholic and so oh he's old name ross <laughs> can i just say i don't really trust ross because he got given the letter and then you know, it, potentially didn't well, give it to... Well, I think because Ross had feelings for him too, because I don't mm. know if I actually mentioned this, but there's, like, suggestions that they both were in a relationship yeah. at some point at yeah. Oxford. So I feel like it would have... Because I'll tell you a bit about Ross soon, but I feel like it was more of like a, you want me to give basically this massive love letter to this man, mm. but I loved you, so no. <laughs> I mean, I think that's just incredibly rude, and... You should just do the moral thing, pass on the love letter and just get over yourself, okay? He didn't love you like that. Just move on. He loved someone else. Behave. (laughs) Behave. (laughs) We are such beasts. Anyway, so um, unfortunately, Wilde passed away of meningitis on the 30th of November 1900. He was only 46. Oh my god. Quite young. Uh, But there's different opinions as to what was the cause of the disease because people love to speculate and they can't leave a thing alone. (sighs) So there's people being like, it was probably because he had syphilis. And everyone was like, sure, Jan. Uh, Merlin Holland, who is his grandson, thought that that was a misconception. And he said uh, that it was more likely he developed meningitis following a surgical intervention. Mm -hmm. Perhaps a procedure, which I have here, and I'm scared to try and pronounce it. Right. Mastoidectomy. Mastoidectomy. It's an ear surgery. Okay. Because obviously he ruptured his eardrum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then uh, physicians also reported that it definitely stemmed from the injury from his ear, mm-hmm. which he which happened in prison, and it was treated for several years, and they doctors have basically said he did not have syphilis, so leave him alone. Yeah. So there's such beasts being like, even like the last few decades, being like, oh yeah, he has syphilis, and it's like, um, leave him alone. <laughs> What is your problem? The man is dead. Literally. Let it be. We know he had an injury in his ear. Yeah. We know it was meningitis, so just leave the man alone. <laughs> it's so annoying. Also, physicians have proved that it's meningitis. Mm. Like, what more do you need? Are you just that... They're still demonising people who aren't heterosexual. That's basically it. You well, know? then you they need to just get a life, honestly. Like, what, what concern is it of anyone else's, what someone else does in their private life, with someone else, consenting? Who gives a shit? preach <laughs> I, was like, I don't know what to say after that I just, so nice. I just hate hearing about this kind of nonsense over and over again and yeah. it's like why can't you just let people live their life the way that they want to as long as it's not hurting anyone is it actively hurting you like if you're on the other side of the planet you hear about this is it actively hurting you no and I hate when people say well how am I going to tell my children um well easily that's for damn sure <laughs> like it's it's oh my god I'm just gonna rant I'm just gonna stop we're gonna quickly finish this before you go right <laughs> yeah let's stop <laughs> so Wilde was buried in France his tomb was commissioned by Robert Ross, his old mate, Ross. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is why I'm like, this is probably why we're like, he's like, he obsessed because he asked for a small compartment to be made for his own ashes. So which, uh, when he passed, he can be with Oscar. So when he died, uh, they did that. They transferred his ashes in 1950 to France and he was put into his tomb. But a little bit about the uh, Oscar Wilde post 
death. <laughs> So in 2011, the tomb was cleaned of the many lipstick marks that left there by admirers. Oh. And a glass barrier was installed to prevent any further markings or damages. Okay, I mean, talk about obsession. People are obsessed in France. <laughs> In 2017, Wilde was among an estimated 50,000 men who were pardoned for homosexual acts that were no longer considered offences under the Policing and Crime Act of 2017 because homosexuality was decriminalised in England and Wales in 1967. Mm-hmm. So the 2017 Act that was implemented uh, is also informally known as the Alan Turing Law, which okay. we all know Imitation Game, if you've seen the Imitation Game. I have not the seen it. Oh, I was going to, okay? Everyone kept but saying, you know oh, who Alan Turing is. It, uh, the Enigma, he cracked the Enigma code. Oh, yeah, yeah, him. Yeah. He was homosexual, and when people found out, they, the government basically shunned him and pretended he didn't exist. I mean, it was dreadful. They treated yes. him poorly. They basically, they named, informally, that's the name of the war. Mm-hmm. Oscar Wilde was among one of the men to be pardoned, which is a little bit like, too little too late. He died, mm. like, what, 117 years ago? <laughs> yeah. And if it wasn't for, like, the whole... Like, bless them, I know what they're trying to say. They're trying to say we made a mistake, and obviously we We're don't believe that anymore. We're going to correct it now, yeah. Yeah, but... We don't shame him for this now but like if yeah. he didn't go to prison he wouldn't have had the whole situation with his ear and then he wouldn't have died so he early he could have made more work oh my god imagine the work he yeah. could have made because i i uh, when i looked at his bibliographer <laughs> i love that word so much um and i looked at his works the only ones i knew of were dorian gray Points of being earnest and Lady Windermere's fan and everything else I've never heard of. Mm-hmm. I have, and I don't even think anything else was all that popular that I know of. No, I, I don't know. know. So I feel like he could have done so much more. So bless him. Uh, the last little piece about him uh, on the 14th of February 1995. Wilde was commemorated with a stained glass window at Poets Corner in Westminster Abbey. The memorial was unveiled by his grandson Merlin Holland and Dame Judy Dench, such a nice, read an extract from The Importance of Being Earnest. Okay. Oh, what a queen. <laughs> and uh, in t- 2014, Wilde was one of the inaugural honorees in the Rainbow Honor Walk, uh, a walk of fame in San Francisco's Castro neighborhood, noting LGBTQ people who have made significant contributions in their fields. Mm. So still being acknowledged to this day. And I mean, I feel like he's still being studied in school. I mean, I studied him in school. Mm-hmm. So, iconic. So that was on this day. Wow. We had the weirdest beginning. <laughs> it was a hot-ass mess. I'm not even going to lie. I didn't even think we could make it. And then we got through it. Like, we got serious. We got you through know? it. We learnt some things. I hope you learnt some things about Oscar Wilde today. Yes. Oscar Wilde, the world among us, and being good to the people around you, regardless of what their lifestyle is like. Because that does not matter. Just love, guys. Just love everyone. Spread the love in a safe way. (laughs) In a safe, consensual way. And in a, from a distance at the moment, please. Yes, from two meters away. (laughs) Just for the time being. Well, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you learned. Please join us next time. I have a feeling it may get a bit interesting next time. Mm. We'll see what happens. I've been Tess. And I have been stuff. We've been stunning. <laughs> this has been the stunning history of today. And we'll hope to see you uh, next time. Bye. Bye. <laughs>